यदा प्रभावी illustration to what we've spoken yesterday at the oh, at our seminar idamaha purasmakam bhagavati svashikpati prigu adinamakam sasikshu sasikshakam this prayer was, was first spoken to us by Lord Brahma, the master of all creators. The creators, headed by Brigu, were instructed in this prayer because he wanted to create. So, Sisrikshu, <coughs> that is the most used word. in this verse means create but actually we can't really create because everything is already created by the lord and we're just using the elements to assemble them in our own way in the same way as children they assemble different things from the uh jigsaw puzzle right but it's already been created by adults by some company <coughs> and so there is one joke about it that one scientist challenged that god challenged god he said with our scientific advancement we could we could do anything you do and then the man said uh, i mean god said can you create a man you know god took the earth and made a body and then as bible says blew the life air in the body and so then the man came to life and scientists said yeah sure and he took the earth and the god said no if you claim you can do everything i do then get your own earth <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and they claim that they can create life right but um, in the what they call test tubes right instead of uh, mother's womb they can create life but they didn't create life that test tube is just a replacement for the womb but the life comes from life without 
man and woman, there is no possibility of creating a human being. And uh, <coughs> so, yeah, creation, whatever creation is there, as Bhagavatam describes, is just a secondary creation. We just move elements around. <laughs> and so by putting elements in a new way, so we become very proud, okay, I've created something special. I've done something no one have done before. Actually, we don't know what was have done before because everything was already done so many times. But the things got forgotten in time. And so people think, okay, I invented something new. There is nothing new. And so, but, you know, everyone wants to feel himself creator, achiever. And so, okay, Krishna is allowing this illusion to go on. And for this reason, everybody is suffering. Because everybody wants to be God. Because God is the enjoyer and controller. And so, this is why we come to this world. Of course, in terms of enjoyment, there was no reason for us to come to the material world because in the spiritual world there were plenty of enjoyment. But one thing was missing and that is control. And we come here for control, for the sake of controlling, trying to, instead of serving God, because in the spiritual world everything is clear. Ekalaishvara Krishna Rasavabritya. There is only one Lord, Krishna, and everybody else is his servant. And so that was really missing. We could not get the position of the controller in the spiritual world. And this is the reason we come to the material world. Try to be gods, try to create something out of nothing. (laughs) And so, at the end, all we create is trouble. (laughs) Trouble for ourselves and trouble for others. And uh, so, of course, the great devotees, and we're lucky, because in our universe, Lord Brahma is the great devotee. And... uh, Yeah, great devotees, they always compassionate towards the conditioned souls, and so they try to get them out of trouble. And so Lord Brahma gave that knowledge, which is now repeated by Lord Shiva to the Prachetas. This is called Parampara. Passing the knowledge without any uh, deviations original product, not corrupted. Even though it gets corrupted by time, as uh, in the course of time, as Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, that evam parampara praptam imam rajar shrivido sakalaneha mahata yoga nashta parantapa. Um, I 
originally gave this knowledge and it was passed down through the chain of disciplic succession for saintly kings to learn. But in time, there was a yoga nashta, the connection was broken, right? And so, therefore, there is a need to reintroduce this knowledge. So, regularly, this knowledge gets lost. You probably know this, how it works, Chinese whispers, right? But whatever message is, it gets so corrupted that you cannot even recognize it, right? And so, yeah, it's the nature of the material world, that everything gets distorted. I, I think yesterday we discussed that, right? All the information we get goes through the three things, deletion, distortion, and generalization. So it's, it's very confusing. And that's why there is a need to reinforce or, you know, purify the message again. And so either the Lord or his empowered representatives, they do it regularly. And so here, two Mahajans, two pure devotees of the Supreme Lord, Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva, they are teaching others, such as Prachetas, this pure knowledge. And what is the aim of this pure knowledge? And this is very interesting because this purpose speaks about Varnashram Dharma, Varnashram Macharavata, Purushana Parapuman. Varnashram Dharma is the perfect. Uh, scientific system of advancement in human society given by the Lord and uh, this is the foundation of Sanatan Dharma without Varnashram Dharma Sanatan Dharma is not really possible and so <clears throat> actually Prabhupada said that 50% of his mission was not completed it's very interesting that from our standpoint, Srila Prabhupada was one of the greatest achievers in the history of mankind, right? Considering what he has done. But from Srila Prabhupada's standpoint, <laughs> he said he could only accomplish 50%. And half of the work, half of his work was not completed. This is what he said before he left this world. And what was the last 50%, the remaining 50%? That was Varnashram Dharma. He said, I gave you spiritual knowledge, I gave you spiritual practices, but what I didn't have enough time to complete was to establish a social structure based on spiritual knowledge and practices. And, again, connecting back to the first purpose of Wisconsin, and as I say, there is a big and very good reason why the first purpose of Wisconsin is first. And first things first. Right? Even though it seems to be 
from our narrow religious point of view, right? And uh, there is a good reason why religions create so much havoc in the world. <laughs> because religions oftentimes make people very proud. Oh, I own, you know, I own God. God belongs to me. I am God's empowered representative, right? And all of you better do what I say or else God will show his wrath. <laughs> and if God will fail, I'll help him. <laughs> like that. So, <clears throat> therefore, religions, they cause so much trouble in the world, right? Because people claim to represent God but it doesn't mean that they do it right. And uh, that's why some people are praying to God, please save me from your followers. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> we don't want to be in this category. <laughs> that someone would pray to God to be saved from us, <laughs> I'm sure. And uh, we can also understand that the word religion does not exactly apply to Krishna consciousness, right? This is what Srila Prabhupada explains in the introduction to Bhagavad Gita on the basis of what Ramanujacharya explains that religion is something which is created in the history. Religion is something which is meant for certain people in certain circumstances given at a certain time. Right? And so because religions have beginning in the annals of human history, that's why religions have end. But Krishna consciousness is not another religion. It is Sanatan Dharma. And unlike all religions, Sanatan Dharma is beginningless and therefore it is eternal. And it is applicable to all living entities at all time and in all circumstances. And so this is what we practice, that Bhakti Yoga is actually Sanatan Dharma. I remember... Uh, speaking at interfaith panel at Dell company um, and that was in uh, Texas where they have the headquarters and uh, one participant asked us you know, we, we had representatives of four denominations and uh, someone said, what is the greatest misunderstanding? What, what are the greatest misunderstandings, common misunderstandings about, about your tradition? And so I have to say that common misunderstanding about Krishna consciousness or Iskorn is that we are mixed up with Hinduism. <laughs> but Hinduism, even though it's connected to Krishna consciousness, 
it is the origin of Krishna consciousness. And Hinduism is actually a corrupt version of Sanatana Dharma, right? Instead of worshipping the Supreme Lord along with his associates, demigods and devotees, people started worshipping certain demigods separately and uh, started imagining that these demigods are the Supreme Lord, right? So that's the corruption. And so one lady, one Indian lady came up to me later, she said, but, you know, why do you think that Krishna consciousness is separate from Hinduism? And I said, it's not separate in the same way as root cannot be separate from the tree, it's the origin of Hinduism, but what's understood under the banners of Hinduism is very wrong idea at the moment. It's basically very sentimental uh, practice deprived of spiritual knowledge. And that's the reason Srila Prabhupada instituted daily classes based on his books. Right? Because his books, they help us to understand what Sanatana Dharma or Bhakti Yoga really is. And uh, <clears throat> yes, if Krishna consciousness would be another religion, then why Krishna would say in the end of Bhagavad Gita, Sabadharma Paritya Praja, abandon all varieties of religion and just surrender unto me. And Prabhupada was saying many times that Krishna consciousness is not another religion. What to speak of sectarian uh, you know, faith? It's a spiritual science applicable to everyone. And so this is the most important thing about Krishna consciousness. That it is meant for all. And therefore, first purpose of this God is the most important thing for us, the most important uh, focus, should be the most important focus in our lives. And again, it is to systematically propagate spiritual knowledge to society at large and teach all people the techniques of spiritual life in order to check the imbalance of values in life and achieve real unity and peace in the world. And it's really hard for many people because, as we mentioned, this purpose does not even uh, mention God, what to speak of Krishna, right? And so that's very broad and most of the people have very narrow consciousness. <laughs> so it doesn't fit in. And whatever does not fit in, people just tend to ignore but actually, as we mentioned uh, on the first day, the first and foremost sign of spiritual entrepreneur or spiritual leader is thinking big. And big thinking is intrinsically connected to Krishna consciousness. Why? Because Krishna is the biggest personality of all. And Krishna's thinking is the biggest thinking. Like Shri Prabhupada, when he had first experience of flying on the airplane, 
He was very amused, you know, Prabhupada liked it. <laughs> he liked that new experience. And so he actually took his seat near the window and he was looking down. And he told to his uh, secretary, just see how small everything looks from this side. <laughs> all the houses, they're like matchboxes and all. And then he actually put it in Krishna conscious perspective immediately. He said, just imagine how it all looks like from Krishna's point of view. <laughs> if for us it looks so small and insignificant, right? What to speak of Krishna? So that's called transcendental level. But yes, Krishna has the broadest consciousness. Oh. And so actually Krishna consciousness means to broaden our consciousness, right? That is the sign that we really advance in Krishna consciousness, when we see things in a broad uh, perspective. And this is what Bhagavatam emphasizes, and Srila Prabhupada quoted this verse many times. Akama sarvakamava moksha kama udanati tivrena bhakti yoginayajata purushampara that whether one does not have any desires or full of desires or desiring liberation if one has as Prabhupada says broader intelligence normally we say broad minded right? same thing broad consciousness udanati Udara means broad, and Thi means intelligence. So that's the direct translation of the Sanskrit. Broader intelligence. Tibrena Bhakti Yogana. Then one can be very focused in his practice of Bhakti Yoga. Tibrena means like laser uh, or Sanskrit word says sunray. You know, we can use the analogy of laser. Ray, you know, very focused and very powerful. Yajata Purusham Param, one can be very focused in one's practice of bhakti yoga and achieve supreme perfection. So these 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 things seem to be contradictory. How can one has very broad consciousness? or how broad consciousness, the broader one's consciousness is, the more focused one's practice of bhakti yoga is, right? How the broadest can be focused with the narrowest. So anyone has any idea? How broad consciousness can help us to become very much focused, narrowly focused on Krishna. Yes, I guess, I guess maybe if you have a broad consciousness means you are able to see everything in Krishna and Krishna in everything. Yes, very good. Yes. Yamam This is what Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita, right? Rikeshari Prabhu knows the translation of this verse. Um, for one who sees me everything everything in me. I never lost, nor he is lost to me. Yeah, nor he is lost to me. Very good, thank you. 
Yeah. Anyone else wanted to say something about this? Yeah, this is exactly the idea. That broad consciousness means you see how everything is connected to Krishna. How everything belongs to Krishna. And if you see that, you will naturally be focused on how everything should be used in Krishna's service. Right? So this is the connection between broad and narrow. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> this is the whole idea of Varnashram Dharma. To become Krishna conscious, to become God conscious. And so this is very important for all of us to be Krishna conscious not just in the temple and not just during our japa time or kirtan time but to be Krishna conscious all the time in all circumstances and what's the first step? So Prabhupada specifically indicates the difference between Kanishta and Madhya Madhikari is what? We have a few young sages here, they can tell us what's the difference between Kanishta and Madhya uh, Immature or mature devotee? What's the main difference? Anyone? Yes? Kanishtadikari uh, sees Krishna only in the deities. Yes, very good. That Kanishtadikari sees Krishna only on the altar. And yeah, so this is God, and uh, He only respects Krishna, right? Why He respects Krishna? Because Krishna keeps smiling at Him and keeps quiet. <laughs> Just imagine, you know, someone always keeps smiling at you and keeps quiet. Oh, good, good person. <laughs> but what he is failing to understand? Yeah, that Krishna is everywhere and in the first place where Krishna is situated? In the hearts of other people. So, Kanishta Dikari only respects Krishna on the altar, but he doesn't give respect to other people. <coughs> and if someone is very much Kanishta, he doesn't even know how to respect other devotees. Right? So, but when one becomes Madhyam, then one understands that yes, Krishna is not only on the altar, Krishna is not confined to the altar. Right? Like someone challenged Srila Prabhupada. Why do you say God comes to this world? And Prabhupada's response was, anyone can stop him. <laughs> so that's very much Kanishta mentality that God is limited. No, God is not limited. And so, yes, he's not just on the altar. He is also in the hearts of other living entities. And so, what is the attitude of Madhyama towards other devotees? How does Madhyama Dikari treats other devotees? Yeah, friendship. And so, 
that design that we are gradually developing as Madhi Madhikaris. We have no problems with any devotees. Young or old, advanced or immature, we understand, okay? These people are all striving to become Krishna conscious, so we appreciate that. And we behave in a friendly way towards all of the devotees. Even though sometimes not all the devotees might be friendly to us due to whatever their conditioning, right? But mature devotee, Madhya Madhikari, is always friendly to other devotees regardless of their attitude towards him. Their attitude towards him does not affect him. That's Madhima. That's why it is called Nishtha, right? It is opposite to Kanishtha. Kanishtha means unsteady flickering, right? Very much depending on circumstances, other people, someone smiled at me, someone said good thing, okay, I like this devotee. Someone didn't smile at me, someone said something which I didn't like very much, so I don't like this devotee. So that's all Kanishta mentality, right? We fail to recognize a simple thing, that everyone is just an instrument in Krishna's hands. And who is Krishna? Suhridam Sarvabhutanam. He is the friend of everyone. So, no matter how things turn out and no matter how I am treated, I understand, okay, Krishna is behind and Krishna is my best friend. And so, I don't mind. I understand, okay, someone is, someone might be influenced by ignorance or what to do. Someone is sick. But it doesn't matter that our attitude is changing towards these people, right? And my spiritual master gave a very interesting example from his own life. That <coughs> how Madhya Madhikar is supposed to treat others, even though others may might mistreat him. And uh, he had to undergo some surgery and this was a serious surgery done under the general uh, anesthesia, uh, general, what do you call it, uh, they put him to sleep, right? But somehow they didn't give him a sufficient dose of that, whatever they smell, gas. And so it happened that he woke up in the middle of the surgery. And, you know, anyone who knows his life history, he was, he's been trained as Marine in U.S. Army, right? And, uh, you know, they have been trained to respond very swiftly to the attacks, right? And so you can imagine, he said, I'm waking up and I see the man with a mask on his face and with a uh, bloody knife in his hand. 
And so he said, my spontaneous response was, you know, I just punched him in the nose. (laughs) (laughs) And did not, you know, because I was in this, you know, hazy consciousness, I did not figure out if he he was my surgeon. (laughs) And so he said, you know, he was holding his nose and he said, please give me more of the anesthetics, you know, give him gas. And so they put him back to sleep. (laughs) And then, (laughs) after it was all over, and, uh, you know, he was in the, uh, in the ward, and then, uh, actually, he remembered the episode, and he said he felt so bad because he realized what happened. (laughs) And then he was thinking, how do I, you know, like, look in my surgeon's eyes now. Because it was a serious military punch. (laughs) And then, you know, he said, the surgeon enters into my ward, and I'm lying there, and you know, his nose is (laughs) bandaged. And he started apologizing. He said, doctor, I'm very sorry for what I have done. And doctor said, don't worry, you were not in the right state of consciousness. <laughs> it's, all, it's all okay. And so he gave that example to bring an analogy of a devotee who is also like a spiritual uh, doctor, right? And he's treating patients and some patients are not in the right state of mind. And that's why they might say or do very strange things. And sometimes these things might be even even harmful. But if we are in the right state of mind ourselves, we can understand, okay, what to do? These people are undergoing treatment. And that's why it's just occupational hazard. You try to help others, but they might not be appreciative of that. And maybe there was some mistake from my part also, like we've discussed last year, when we spoke about life without conflicts, right? Whenever conflict arises or whenever the problem arises, one of the questions, as Adipuru Prabhu mentioned, should be, what have I done wrong? And so, naturally, what the doctor, what the surgeon has done wrong, he allowed insufficient amount of the drug to be administered to the patient, and that's why the patient woke up in the middle of the surgery, and so it was his mistake for which he suffered. So all of us are suffering due to our own mistakes. Sometimes we might feel that we are innocent victims, but according to the Vedic version, such thing does not exist. Innocent victim. And so, yes, this is the sign, the first sign of our advancement, that we have no problems with anyone who is chanting Hare Krishna, no matter how good or bad people are. And sometimes, yes, even those who chant Hare Krishna, they might exhibit some 
trends which are not very inspiring, unfortunately, yeah? because people are under treatment. Right? It's not that everyone who just walks into the doors of Iskon Temple immediately, you know, becomes a saint. <laughs> it takes time. And understanding that and being okay with that is the first sign of spiritual maturity, right? And so second sign of spiritual maturity is understanding that other traditions, they're also connected to the same Supreme Lord, to the same Krishna. And other people, they're also on the path of their spiritual advancement. They may not follow the same strict rules, like we have four the principles, and this is very rarely, can be very rarely found in other traditions, but we can understand. As Krishna explains in the, seven, in the beginning of the seventh chapter of Bhagavad Gita, what does he say? Rikeshwari, you remember the translation? Yeah. Um, out. Only out of thousands of men, one person can uh-huh. um, And out of all this? Only one person. Yes. yes. And out of all who are striving for perfection, only one hardly knows being true. Right? So we can understand devotees are very very rare personalities. That's why you can see how many people live in Bangalore. Five million. And how many devotees we have in the community? Not even five thousand, right? Yeah? Many are called, few are chosen. Yeah. So very few. So devotees are very rare because our standards, you know, it's like four regular principles and 16 rounds every day. This is just for beginners. <laughs> <laughs> then it goes on increasing, early morning, chant, not just 16 rounds, but, you know, 24 hours a day, as Prabhupada said on one of the previous verses. Full engagement in devotional service. Read all Prabhupada's books, 60 volumes, and once you finish, go over again. <laughs> and once you finish, go over again, go over again, and again, and again, etc. Then take courses and take, you know, it's like, I mean, sometimes you might wonder, will it, will it ever end increasing of the standards? So we can understand, yeah, Krishna consciousness is for very, very rare few special souls. And I Unending ocean. Yeah. And so that's why, yeah, what, what we discussed yesterday, devotees are very special, very rare, and really amazing souls. And of course, when we are in too close proximity, as the saying goes, familiarity breeds content, and we fail to appreciate uh, how amazing and how wonderful devotees are. And yeah, sometimes, I mean, devotees do mind-blowing things, amazing things, but hardly anyone appreciates that. And this is like so strange.
I mean, I traveled to one uh, temple uh, in America, which is in Houston, in Texas. And I found out that one elderly gentleman, one elderly devotee, Tamal Krishnamurti disciple, has actually created the biggest um, community and yeah, temple complex in the entire Western world, single-handedly. I mean, temple, community hall, residential quarters, restaurant, uh, shop, you name it, all like massive, at least 20 million dollars, American dollars invested in that project. You know, huge, huge territory, their own farm next to the temple, in the city, in the heart of Houston. And I was like, who have done that? Because, okay, maybe in India we have bigger projects, but there is nothing like that in the Western world. You know, it blew my mind. Scale of it and the beauty of it, and uh, you know, I thought maybe some guru behind some somebody you know, very famous, with plenty of disciples, with lots of resources, financial resources, and I was pointed out oh, this elderly Gujarati devotee. This is what he, this is, he did all of this. And I was like, wow, how this is possible? Yeah. And so, I appreciated him a few times. In class I just shared, you know, how impressive it was. And I actually learned that in all the years, he was never really appreciated. Even once, by what he did. <laughs> because, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. And this is very unfortunate. That, that's why, yeah. I think I'm in very advantageous position because if you move around <laughs> so much, you cannot develop familiarity. <laughs> so you always see that from the observer's perspective, and it's easy to appreciate how much wonderful service devotees are doing. And so, but yeah, it's really important for us to understand how rare the devotees are because most people they cannot even start devotional service because you know it's too challenging for them it's the standards are too high for them they still want to believe in god they still want to practice something uh, some service do some service but they want to be on their level where there are no challenging standards, right? And so this is all other things. But we should still appreciate that, yes, despite of maybe their weaknesses, these people still want to advance spiritually, they still want to serve God, and at least we can understand they are on the path. And if they follow their own tradition properly, one day they will achieve perfection, they will come to Krishna. And I have seen these examples many, many times in my life. And I mean, we have many devotees in our society who actually come from different traditions. Right? And their practice 
of their tradition actually brought them to Krishna, finally. And so that's why mature understanding is appreciating anyone who believes in God and who is trying. Even there are traditions in this world who are not connected to that at all. Like Kali Yuga brought the phenomenon of non-theistic religions. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a religion, but when you come to, you know, who is God, you know, it's like, yeah, you come to the older and it's empty. <laughs> no one. <laughs> there is no God. <laughs> but still it is religion. And the brightest examples are Buddhism and um, Jainism. They are considered to be non-theistic religions. Because there is Dharma there, but there is no God. But still, people follow Dharma, so Dharma helps them to become purified. And gradually come to that, come to understanding of God. And so it's like, you know, we have different traditions. Certain traditions, they have God, but very weak Dharma. Other traditions, they have strong Dharma, but no God. So something is missing. But still, we can understand that at least people are connected to Dharma and Supreme Lord one way or the other. And that's why they are still better than materialistic people. And very mature understanding is to respect and appreciate every single human being. Because Krishna tells in the 11th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam that of all species of life, the most dear to me are human beings. And you can see human beings, they even resemble Krishna, right? Radha Krishna. <laughs> so men are uh, made after image of Krishna and women are made after image of Radharani, right? So, human beings are very close to Krishna. And, and because, yeah, they have developed intelligence which can help them to understand Krishna. And so that's why mature devotees appreciate uh, all human beings as potential devotees. Right? But if you are on the topmost level of Krishna consciousness, then you can appreciate and respect every living entity, regardless of the form. And so, we were speaking about it because the previous verse uh, mentioned a very important word, which is Adritaha, with great reverence. Reverence means respect. So, and so it is very important that we develop that respect, respectful attitude. Amani Namanadana, as Lord Chaitanya said, respecting everyone and not expecting any respect towards ourselves. So that is the perfect condition for us to chant the holy name and advance. And uh, incidentally, it's very interesting, you know. Certain things Prabhupada said are pretty confusing for the beginners, like myself. And so when I heard uh, that 
Prabhupada said, every Indian is intrinsically Krishna conscious. That Krishna consciousness is in every Indian. And that kind of made me puzzled because I was thinking, in India many people, they worship not necessarily Krishna, but they worship you know, Shiva, Ganesh, Durga, so many objects of worship, Kartikeya, Murugan. And uh, some of them, they are not even uh, following Hinduism, they are Christians or Muslims or some other faith. Or some of them are not even following anything, just ordinary materialistic people. So why Prabhupada says that every Indian is intrinsically Krishna conscious? And actually, by visiting India and by living in India for quite a while, I realized because what Prabhupada meant, because Prabhupada said Krishna consciousness will conquer the world by education and culture. And we can understand that education is theory and culture is practice. And if you look at very common Indian culture, it's all about respect, right? Very high level of respect. And we can understand and broad-minded attitude, right? That, I mean, India was probably the only country which was never fanatical about any religions and was allowing, what you call it, plural pluralism of the religious practices because yeah, it actually comes from Krishna consciousness, this broad-mindedness. So this broad-minded attitude and respect, that's very typical Indian culture. And because Indians, almost all Indians, they have that culture, that's why it's very easy for them to accept Krishna consciousness. That's why Prabhupada said that we don't even need to worry about making Indians Krishna conscious. Because <laughs> they're already there, right? We need to focus on how to make uh, Western people Krishna conscious. Yeah, because culture, this is the most powerful thing we have. And it is very important to understand that Krishna consciousness is primarily culture, and then everything else is secondary. Philosophy is just to help us understand and appreciate Vedic or Krishna conscious culture. And that is the essence of culture. That to be more humble than the blade of grass, to be more tolerant than the tree, and respect everyone without demanding or even expecting any respect for oneself. So only in this state of mind one can always chant the holy names of the world. Anyway, I've spoken longer than I should be again. <laughs> but anyway, if anyone has any anything, yes. Should not expect respect. 
Uh, and uh, so many times we read in Bhagavad Gita how great sages, even Narada Muni, who both uh, authentic and even first, we know that the other dynasty of church was very disrespectful. So, um, I don't know how to take that, how to reconciliate everything. How much of, if, if, they, if they agree, it's, uh, if they did not expect the respect, then shouldn't have been a reaction? Or, um, how, how that does it go? Does it, does it mean that we should not react or we should not? Uh, uh, uh. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, very interesting that <coughs> If we should not be expecting any respect, then the uh, sages directly associated with Lord Krishna in Varaka, they should not be expecting any respect. Then why they became angry at the at Samba and his friends who started mocking them, right, and cursed them. And same thing with Narad Muni, right? When he was passing by Nalakovar and Manigriv, he also cursed them. And we can see many, many instances of very exalted Vaishnavas, not just ordinary Vaishnavas, but associates of the Lord, pure devotees. And they demand the respect and they even curse people <laughs> if they don't get the sufficient respect. How that is tying with the third verse of Sushastakam? That's a very good question. Yeah, actually, there are two levels level of practice and the level of perfection, sadhana and sadhya. And so, even in the material world, that certain things professionals can do, laymen should not try, right? Like you might come across some videos with a warning, don't try that at home, <laughs> right? because it's dangerous. And so the same thing applies to spiritual life, that if someone is practitioner, then general rules are applicable to the practitioner. But if someone is perfect, they can actually do something which seems to be breaking the rules because they actually know what they're doing. And we can see Prabhupada, you know, Prabhupada was, for example, sometimes very harsh with people, right? And saying very heavy things. One time Prabhupada gave a class to a big audience and he was using his, you know, like, arsenal. You know, he had those, you know, heavy words, fools, rascals, uh, pigs, hogs, dogs, asses, you know. Prabhupada had the whole zoo <laughs> to throw at people. <laughs> right. And so, and he was using all these things, you know, he was like firing at people, these things. And then he came back after this class and he was laughing and laughing. And the disciples said, why do you laugh, Shiva Prabhupada? And Prabhupada was saying that for good hour I was calling them, you know, dogs, asses, hogs, uh, and all this, and at the end they were clapping. <laughs> but it is very important, and Prabhupada said, don't imitate. What I can say, you cannot say. 
And unfortunately, this instruction is heavily violated. That there are plenty of devotees who try to imitate Srila Prabhupada with very negative results, right? Because they are not there. They don't have Prabhupada's consciousness to say what Prabhupada, you know, could say. And uh, so in the same way, you know, these great sages, they could actually curse people for their benefit. And their curses would work. But, you know, when it comes to us, actually I think it's a blessing of Kali Yuga that all the Brahmanas and devotees, they don't have those powers. <laughs> Otherwise we can only imagine what would happen, right? All the curses and counter-curses. <laughs> like which... Uh, Daksha Yagi, yeah, that describes. And so, yeah. I mean... It's actually Kali Yuga blessing, otherwise we would never have anyone practicing devotee. <laughs> but everyone would finish each other with curses and counter-curses. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you can see that those uh, great uh, personalities, they act as perfect instruments in Krishna's hands, and whatever they do is motivated by compassion. And so... It's like one disciple of Srila Prabhupada, Sakshi Gopal. Actually, there are so many stories like that. But this is one instance that they were driving Srila Prabhupada through central London. And if anyone has been to London, you know that Saturday is the shopping day for the whole country. They go crazy shopping. I mean, it's very dangerous to distribute books, even though there are many people on the streets, but if you try to stop someone, especially ladies, and if they see the sign sale, and if you try to stop them with, with books, they can actually run over you, <laughs> running to the sale, right? <laughs> and so, Braupat uh, was going in the car through the central London, and he saw all this shopping madness, people running around this, you know, the shops, etc. And then he started saying, oh, all these people are such fools and rascals, and using all the, you know, heavy words. And it appeared like Prabhupada was upset with these people, but then Sakshapapal uh, Prabhu said, he was sitting next to Prabhupada, and he looked into his eyes, and Prabhupada was crying. And he said, how these people can be saved? So he was angry, and he was using all these heavy words, but his anger was motivated by love, not by false ego or anything in the material world. And so, you know, it's like loving parents. They can be angry, with the children, if children do something dangerous, right? If a child is trying to, you know, like, do something dangerous, the parent, the loving parent might shout at the child, right? Just to scare the child away, just to stop him, prevent him from doing something dangerous. But this so-called anger is motivated by love, right? And so that's the idea that Unless we have this kind of love, Srila Prabhupada had 
He would try to do it at home. He would try to imitate Shula Prabhupada. It might produce very negative results. So, it just so happens sometimes as we devotees, we clash about devotees. And even though we are here that you know, like we should come up to the level of Madhya Madhikari, we should not do that, it might happen again and again. So we might clash with the devotees. Yeah. Or other devotees might clash. Like me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you can hear that theoretically, like you should not do that, but still it can happen again and again, and you really don't have to do it, but still it happens. So, we have some advice how to put it from theory. Yeah, I mean, uh, as long as we practice, mistakes are almost unavoidable. And so, yeah, it might happen, but then, you know, once we see that, okay, I was not behaving in the right way. You know, the best way is to publish this. To the devotee and try to never do that again. Some, sometimes, you know, it's like the, again, life without conflicts principle that conflict means uh, mistakes are done by both sides. You know, it's absolute rule that one hand will never clap. For clap you need both hands. So, and it is possible that the opposite, opposite party contributed much more than me, but if I realize I still contributed something, then I can apologize for my side and clear my conscience, right? So this is the way. Yeah, he said first. You want to ask your question? Um, the, uh, it's written in the translation that um, that Brahma is the master of all the creators. But then, but Krishna is also the creator. Then how can we understand? Yeah, Brahma is the master of all the creators, and Krishna uh, is not defined in Vaishnava theology as the supreme controller or creator or uh, destroyer or even maintainer. We can see that all these functions of creation, uh, maintenance and destruction, he outsourced to Brahma, Vishnu and Shiva. And officially the Supreme Lord is not Krishna, but it is Narayana. So that's why we understand Krishna not as Supreme Controller, but as Supreme Enjoyer. And it's very interesting that God, officially God means G-O-D, right? Generator, Operator and Destroyer. <laughs> and we can understand that Krishna, as he is, he doesn't do these things. He is not involved in this. His business is pure enjoyment. <laughs> and so that's why he is the supreme enjoyer. And Krishna is not even happy, we can see, when he is addressed as the supreme Lord. Krishna doesn't want to be the God. Krishna doesn't want to be God. He just wants to be 
a coward boy, playing with his cows and friends. And incidentally, he is the source of all gods. <laughs> that is the mystery of the Vedic literature. That's very few people know who Krishna is. And so, yes, Krishna is not doing all these divine functions. He is outsourcing them to his avatars and others. He's just enjoying life. So that's, this is who Krishna is. <laughs> Looks like boating or something. <laughs> okay, let's give boys chance. Even though I'm really nervous because these boys, they ask the kind of questions which really are explained only in the 11th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. And we are only studying for 4th canto. So I'm a little nervous whether I will have enough knowledge to answer that questions. content because uh, for Indians Krishna consciousness is something very familiar, they don't appreciate it as much as Western people. Prabhupada said, Indians are very close to Krishna, but they turned away from Krishna. They tend to turn away from Krishna. But Western people are very far from Krishna, but they are facing Krishna. They are moving towards Krishna. So yes, but yeah, actually we should have both understand and appreciate Krishna consciousness. But Prabhupada started with Western people because in India people didn't appreciate Krishna consciousness, right? But once Prabhupada came back with so many Westerners, Indian people thought, wow, they practice our Dharma, maybe something valuable our Dharma still has to offer. So Indians started taking up Krishna consciousness, looking at the example of Western people. Um, like, if, if some people, why do the people get reaction if they are not in the world, yet they don't know that what they do, they get a reaction? Why people get reaction if they don't know that they might be getting a reaction? Well, Prabhupada said, law is law, whether one knows or don't. Mm-hmm. Like, if you kill someone, and then you say, oh, sorry, I didn't know that. In your town, it's not right, you know, it's against the law. Because I come from some wild island and, you know, we used to do that. <laughs> but still, if you break the law, you go to jail, right? Or you get punished. Like Prabhupada said, driving on the opposite side of the street. If you do that, you'll be uh, punished by the law. So, yeah, the ignorance, you know, the lack of knowledge of the laws does not relieve one from the uh, reaction. So that's why it is so important for us to help people know the laws of God, know Shastra. 
because this is how Prabhupada defines Shastra as God's laws, right? So that they are careful not to break those laws and not to get reactions. Thank you very much. Uh, Maharaj, uh, how the three modes of material nature, they affect our qualification to be Uttama, Dhamma, Kanishtha? Well, ignorance is symptomatic of Kanishtha, uh, you know, between ignorance and passion. So between passion and goodness, that's Madhyama. But uh, transcendence, that's Uttamatika. <clears throat> Can uh, devotees from another tradition uh, obtain prema in some stage of their path, religion, or they, they can obtain that kind of uh, stage, spiritual stage? Yeah. Uh, Prabhupada was making comments about Francis of Assisi that uh, when you know he heard that he was addressing uh, like even birds and animals like brothers and sisters. Um, he was asked what is the level of his uh, this is love of God. That's you know, so yeah, the right examples like that. So we can say that members of another tradition also can go into Vinaman, for example? Well, the Loka Vrindavan, that's different, and for that one needs to know Krishna. But by practicing any tradition, people can come to Krishna. And, yeah, we can see evidence that in Iskon there are so many devotees who used to practice either Islam or Christianity or some other Judaism. So now they are practicing Krishna consciousness. Maharaj, you mentioned about um, that without Varnashram Dharma, Sanatana Dharma cannot be achieved. Yes. Um, so, well, maybe when we come to Krishna consciousness, you know, we, we are, for many of us, we are not clear about Varnashram Dharma, and probably it will take a long time if ever we found out about our Varnas. But then, regardless, we still engage in Krishna consciousness following the instructions of our spiritual masters and uh, teachers. So, how do we understand this? Well, varna means you have certain uh, nature and occupation matching that nature, and it makes easier for you because it's natural to advance in Krishna consciousness. Because if you like doing what you do, you can get the best results and you can dedicate it to Krishna, right? But if you force yourself to do something you don't really like, Prabhupada speaks about it as emergency duties, right? Certain duties you have to do even though you don't like doing that. And we all have those emergency duties sometimes, you know. We have to do something we don't like, but we can understand that this state of emergency cannot last forever. Even I know one devotee, and he belongs to that special, you know, secret police forces, and he was doing all these special tasks and, you know, fighting with criminals and, you know, like most dangerous criminals, right? And um, 
then he gave it up after a while because you know it's like he has huge body, very strong, you know, it's kind of born for that kind of kshatriya. But then you know he said he's been stabbed and wounded by bullets so many times, and he's been in and out of hospital, in and out of hospital, and his wife would go crazy because I mean every single day she knows what he's doing, and she thinks you know. Will he be alive or not? And so he said, you know, after a while, even that wears you down. You know, like, I mean, there are other ways how to, uh, you know, apply one's kshatriya spirit rather than just dealing with all kinds of, you know, low class people, uh, criminals, and also being always in emergency, and that is not natural. So. Emergency duties can last for some time, but there should be like standard duties according to our nature. Last one, because we should finish. Wow, so many people like that. Thank you, Mother. Um, you see that you know, I talk about the broad consciousness and you talk about Krishna consciousness. We, we, you know, in interfaith kind of thing, with Krishna consciousness is very accommodating for other religion. But then when you see from other religion perspective, they feel that our religion or our any other religion is a threat. And in fact, there are countries where you are not allowed to propagate. Or, uh, you know, even in books or something, you come across, they are very stubborn. <laughs> And, and, and how do you, you know, you are looking to pay? Yes. Well, I mean, it's the same thing, life without conflicts, that if we face very strong reaction to us, that, of course, that's an imperfection from their side, but it means we also are doing something wrong. And uh, I have one experience... I had few experiences, but one was very, you know, kind of impressive. Uh, when I traveled with my spiritual master, and he is very, you know, active in interfaith relations, and uh, we were in Mongolia, and it is primarily Buddhist country. <clears throat> and so he requested the devotees to organize interfaith meeting with Buddhist leaders in Mongolia. So we came. And that Buddhist abbot, he came to meet us with maybe about 20 monks. It was a very big monastery. And we had about 15 devotees or so, so it was like not just two people, but two groups. <clears throat> and I could see on his face, because, you know, Hare Krishnas are very well known for being very aggressive. <laughs> And very radical, right? And uh, so they came to that meeting and they were kind of very tense. They were thinking, okay, Hare Krishna will start converting us now or something. But then Indra Maharaj came to the meeting dressed in Mongolian dress. And Bada Haridan Prabhu was also there, dressed in Mongolian dress. And they were like, wow, they're dressing. They are dressed in our traditional attire <clears throat> and uh, 
Then the first thing Indridum Murray said, I'm very happy to meet you and I have high appreciation for your Buddhist culture because it produces high quality people and therefore we want to do something to support you in your culture and in your work. We want to help you. We want to serve you. And that Buddhist monk was very surprised. He said, why? And then Henry Dumnumaras told him the story. He said, I met one young boy who was actually the son of congregation member. And when he was 11 years old, on his own, he wanted to become a Buddhist monk. And even though his parents, especially his mother, was panicking, you know, like 11 years old, wants to become a monk, so she was totally against it. But he insisted and he went to the monastery and he became a monk. And he came to meet Maharaj dressed in a monk's robes. And mother came to Maharaj, she said, you know, can you talk my boy out of it? He wanted to become a Buddhist monk, this is not our tradition, this and that. And Indrajimna Maharaj said, he decided on his own to become a monk at 11? And mother said, yes, despite of all my, you know, uh, whatever I was saying. And he turned to this boy and he said, how can you live? This is so austere in the monastery. And the boy said, yeah, I'm happy to have nothing. And he said, but what about toys? You're a small boy. He said, I don't need any toys. I only need my prayer beads and mantras to chant. I'm fully happy with that. Sleeping on the floor, I only have two sets of clothes, one which I'm wearing, the other one drying on the line, and I'm totally happy. And Mara said, whoa. <laughs> and he turned to Bada Haridas Prabhu, he said, can you imagine this kind of boy in America? And Bada Haridas Prabhu said, no chance. <laughs> He said, it's only here, so serious about spiritual life. And then he turned to the mother, he said, why do you want to talk him out of it? Because <clears throat> he's learning discipline, he's learning simplicity, he's uh, doing his austerity. <clears throat> and, okay, he's practicing Buddhism, he's learning Buddhism, but, <clears throat> I mean, there are so many similarities in our philosophies. And it's really good for him to learn Buddhism. <clears throat> and plus, the choice of tradition should be volunteered. No one should be forced into anything, right? So, and you don't have Gurukul in here anyway, so why do you want him to stop? Let him practice. And uh, then he told this Buddhist monk, these kind of people, <clears throat> you know, are only in here, and if your culture gives this quality of people to the world, we want to support it. And then this Buddhist monk said, but you know, you belong to different tradition, why you want to support us? And Maharaj said, well, you know, we have many things in common. We, all of us believe in karma, in reincarnation, and we have compassion as the top value the top quality, and many other things. And plus, you know, all of us chant mantras, read Sanskrit, we have so many things in common. And plus, we believe that Buddha 
is avatar of Krishna. So we have no problem with your tradition because Krishna started your tradition <laughs> as avatar of Buddha. And uh, this monk, he said, it's interesting because our scripture also say that Krishna is avatar of Buddha. <laughs> Krishna is another form of Buddha, he said. And Mara said, you see, <laughs> we have so many similarities so we can work together. Tell us what can we do for you. And this monk was so bewildered. He said, if you have such broad understanding, you know, we could let you give classes to our monks and you could also preach to our congregation. <laughs> and Maharaj said, uh, thank you for the offer, but maybe we could help you with something. And then this monk said, you know, the way you chant your mantras is very attractive. So many people come uh, and they dance with you, they chant with you. We cannot attract people like that. So if we could learn from you to chant mantras in such attractive way, that would be very nice. Could you please chant the mantra for us? <laughs> so they requested Kirtan. And we've done Kirtan for half an hour and they were ecstatic. We didn't even bring instruments because we didn't expect that. But, you know, Maharaj's attitude and his openness and his humility just melted their hearts. And at the end of the kirtan, you know, Maharaj said, you have such a beautiful monastery and we want to chant one protection mantra to protect you from all troubles. And Buddhists, they love protection mantras. <laughs> and so then they chanted, singing their prayers. And at the end, they didn't want to let, let us go. <laughs> they were like taking pictures with us and asking 108 times when are you coming back, how can we work together, etc. So it was complete transformation. And I was thinking, this is what's missing. This kind of attitude is really missing. You know, it's like Prabhupada's advice was in like a needle, out like a plow. But sometimes, unfortunately, we see devotees there, they, they want to go in like a plow and they just break their heads and, you know, people just resist and they say, go away, not interested in you. So, you know, bhakti yoga is buddhi yoga, so it would be good to use our intelligence in dealing with other traditions especially. Ah... Uh, I'm afraid Shukadev Prabhu will curse me. <laughs> so, therefore, all questions I'll be happy to answer individually, but officially we would have to stop the class. So, thank you all very much for your live interest. Radharaj Shumad Bhagavadam Kijai, Prabhupada Kijai, Gaur Premanandi.